sometimes you wish you didn't know, and sometimes you wish you knew more. Are you nosy, curious, or just bored? Have you ever just started listening to other people's conversations? Do you ever just keep listening even though you aren't part of the conversation? If this describes you, then welcome to Topic Please. The lady sounds like a know-it-all. <laughs> I'm Liz. I'm Aaron. Um, and just to put this out there, we are not sponsored by this game, and I really don't want to get in trouble for any copyright stuff or whatever, but I feel like if the manufacturers of I Wish I Didn't Know want to sponsor someone, we would take that sponsorship. <laughs> right? We're loving these cards. <laughs> I mean, And there's so many cards in this box. Like, we're still on the first deck that we opened. Yeah, and there's like four huge stack deck so it's definitely a good game to play with like i think there's five all together those are five i don't know there's just a lot so it's a lot of good information i don't know (laughs) i was like ooh, what should we do and we always play this like as a segment or whatever you always want to know more like or where did they get that or why is that a thing or how do you know so this week we have we have answers maybe not thorough answers and maybe not all of the answer you want but we have some answers on top of the guest answers as to why that answer is correct. However, just putting it out there for anybody who's like, well, how do you know it's not the other ones? I didn't. I don't know. I did not look up any information about the incorrect answers. So they could be correct still. But it's not the one that this particular card says is the correct answer. You know? So. All right. So what do we got? So we're going to start with. I got to get my thing back up. Uh, okay. So question one, Aaron, research has shown that women do this nearly twice as often as men. Talk. (laughs) Maybe. Uh, A, wash their hands. B, blow their nose. C, blink their eyes. Or D, brush their teeth. See, I, I feel like no matter where I go with my thought process here for what the answer might be, like it would come across as being sexist in some way, <laughs> and that's like not my intention. But I mean, a lot of these could be a thing, like just washing their hands. Like a lot of guys don't wash their hands as often. You know, whether it's you know they just don't care, or they don't want to smell like girly soap, or they don't think about it. But they'd rather smell like urine. Also, uh, like blinking their eyes, like. You know, if you see a cartoon and there's like a female character flirting with a male character, they're like batting their eyes and stuff. That's, I mean, they're blinking when they do that. Mm, I never thought about that, but. Uh, what what were the other options? Uh, a, wash their hands. B, blow their nose. C, blink their eyes. D, brush their teeth. See, I so feel like all the, of these the, women do more than men. <laughs> the blowing their nose thing. I mean, stereotypically. Women are thought of as being more emotional, which would mean more prone to crying, therefore more prone to needing to blow their nose. What so I really I, meant I, was this is the sexist I, I could edition see of... <laughs> that being the answer as well. Brushing their teeth? I don't know. I don't think that's the answer. I, I, I don't know. I feel like it's definitely done more than... I don't know. I don't know. I use our children as my... my data on <laughs> on my knowledge of these things and our girls definitely do all of these things more than our sons do 
Since I'm going to go with... No, wait, what was the question again? How was the question worded? Research has shown oh. that women do this nearly twice as often as men. And so it's not like just a survey asking people. I'm going to say it was the blinking. That's my guess. Why would you be wrong now? <laughs> Why would you ever start being wrong, sir? You are correct. Because my driver's license says that I'm right. <laughs> uh, you are correct. There was a research study completed. Um, the title of the research study is Spontaneous, at least the one that I found, um, Spontaneous Blinking in Healthy Persons, an Optioelectronic Study of Eyelid Motion. Uh, it was completed by Chiarella Sforza and Associates from the Optimolic, Optimolic Physiol... Something, <laughs> but it was in the National Library of Medicine, National Center for Biotechnology Information. Uh, and the abstract is to develop a method for the non invasive detection and quantification of eyelid movements during spontaneous blinking. So, this isn't the batting your eyes or yeah. flirting and stuff, but uh, it's kind of a, like something you don't do on purpose. It just happens. Mm -hmm. So, like, it's got the methods listed and everything. It's like it's pretty interesting. Like, I don't know why somebody decided they wanted to study blinking rates, but they do. I don't know if maybe that led to like, or it was an offshoot of like maybe a study on why do some people have dry eyes and others don't. Like, does blinking affect dry eyes? Maybe I don't know that, but um, so. Like it studied all these people, but the results say spontaneous blink rate was significantly larger in women than men. 19 versus 11 blinks per minute. So nearly twice as many. Uh, older women blinked more frequently than younger women. And on average, young men closed their eyes completely or almost completely 44% of the time. So, but yeah, so women apparently like on average, based on the results of this research study, uh, women blink 19 times per minute and men blink 11 times per minute. All right. So there's your your information related to that. So there is an actual research study and this research was done by like a legitimate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pub. Thing. Like you can find it if you want to by just doing a, a search on blink rate studies. But it's also located at. PubMed, so P U B M E D dot N C B I dot N L M dot N I H dot gov. All right. So, yeah, interesting. They did a research. So, women blink on average 19 times per minute and men blink 11. All right. So, now my question for you is we know it as a classic toy, but Play Doh, registered trademark, was originally sold as. A, wallpaper cleaner. <laughs> for that bubble wrap. <laughs> B, an eraser for crayons. C, a product to temporarily hang pictures. D, a food substitute for people to lose weight. So I don't think it's D because there are actual recipes for edible Play-Doh um, so that it's not toxic because the regular Play-Doh is toxic to... So maybe that's why they lost weight because they were vomiting everything up. I don't know. Um, oh, Play-Doh was non-toxic now. 
It might be now, but it didn't used to be. So it used to be toxic. Yeah, I mean, but now that it's like marketed as a children's toy and people realized it was toxic, I'm sure they've changed the recipe a little bit. Yeah, maybe. It's like the lead paint or whatever. I don't know who was licking lead paint walls, but somebody. Um, I think, I don't know, I'm kind of inclined to the eraser for crayons because I think that would be interesting i've never i, I want to try that i don't know that it's that's the actual thing but i want to try that now like i want to next time i'm at work and i am coloring with the people that i'm interacting with um i feel like we need to get the play-doh out and then rub it on the picture that we just colored and find out if it erases it um the wallpaper all i can think of is the the bubble wrap and i don't know that play-doh would have cleaned that very well <laughs> so what was the other option? Wallpaper cleaner, eraser for crayons, temporarily hang pictures, or a food substitute. See, and we have like the tech stuff. Yeah, like sticky tech. Mm-hmm, that for hanging. But I think that definitely came after Play-Doh. So I feel like somebody probably tried Play-Doh and was like, oh my gosh, this works for that. <laughs> but you said it was originally intended? Yeah, it was originally sold as what one of those things... I want to say eraser for crayons just because I really want it to be that. That your answer? Yeah. The answer is, well, I'll read you some information and we'll get to what the answer is. Okay. So founded in 1912 in Cincinnati, this company's. That's after crayons. Sorry. Primary product, (laughs) a soft pliable compound used for wiping soot from wallpaper was no longer in demand, and the firm's future looked bleak. So So it was a wallpaper cleaner. For soot. I guess that makes sense, because it does, like, pick up all of those things. I didn't really think of, like, from, like, the chimneys or the wood burners. I was just thinking, like, dirt and whatever on it. So, interesting. So there you have it. We now use it to create little art masterpieces before we squish them and use it all over again, but... But apparently, Kutol products, K-U-T-O-L mm-hmm. products, had become the largest wallpaper cleaner manufacturer in the world in the early 20th century. And then around the 1950s, people like started transitioning from heating with coal to heating with cleaner things like oil or gas or electricity. So it wasn't a need anymore. So apparently his sister-in-law had seen some information about, uh, or I mean, one of the company's like owners or president, whatever, higher up, mm-hmm. had seen something about, you know, this wallpaper cleaner could be used for these modeling projects. And she was like, hey, let's give it to kids. Let kids play with it. And then we have Play-Doh as we know it today. There you have it. That's interesting. So sister-in-law Kay Zufall, Zuffel, a nursery school teacher, tested the non-toxic material with children. I still think it's toxic. Then why do they have edible Play-Doh? Who loved molding it into all kinds of shapes. Just because something's non-toxic doesn't mean it's edible. <laughs> Our kitchen table is non-toxic. It's not edible. I'm pretty sure it's toxic these days. <laughs> 
I feel like that's the only requirement for it to be edible is that it's non-toxic. But I mean, I guess just the story in general, though, of it, that's it's kind of cool that it's like, oh, we have this product and then it became obsolete. Like it, that product is no longer needed. And then it's still there, just used for a different purpose. And it is like a huge thing for children. Yeah. And I have used Play-Doh to tack up things on my wall. It does work for temporary. I mean, like in a world where like technology becomes obsolete so quickly, uh, so many things become obsolete because the newer, better thing is out there. It's kind of cool, like, you know, these stories where, oh, well, yeah, that became obsolete for its original purpose. So we adapted, yeah. But we figured out something else that could get used for, and... So if you have wallpaper... But now I'm like, I know how to clean the wallpaper in our kitchen, because when we bought our house, we redid a lot of things. We painted, like, things. We redid the flooring, um, but we never got as far as the kitchen and we kept saying we're going to get to it and we have not. And our kitchen has this old seventies wallpaper, like with roosters. And and then some are like a cream color with these little diamonds. Like it doesn't even go together, but it's wallpaper. So I feel like I need to, to get the kids and just be like, Hey, come help me clean the, the walls and when they finally come out after complaining that I'm asking them to clean walls just hand them each a tub of play-doh and just I feel like of all of our children James would be like whatever let's try it see then I feel like our kitchen would like forever smell like play-doh because play-doh has that very distinct smell like when you smell play-doh like you know that you're smelling play-doh like, That's true. That wouldn't be a bad smell, though. I mean... It would be strange to have your entire kitchen smelling that way, though. Like, it, especially if it just stuck around forever. I don't I don't I feel know. like now, though, that being a thought, like, our trash can and our recycling bin are kept in the kitchen. They're in the dining room part of the kitchen, but they're kept in there. So I wonder if we just, like, squished some Play-Doh. Like onto the sides of the trash can or whatever, or in the thing, because you made a really nice alcove, like you built a wall and encased it or closed it or whatever right, for the built a box. Yeah, for the for the trash can stuff going, so the animals couldn't get to. But I wonder if we stuck play doh all over in there, if it would like make it smell more like play doh and less like trash. I Old feel food. like it would just smell like nasty play doh. I don't know, but I feel like I'm gonna try it. I'll see if you even notice that I put play doh in there. I'll get back to you people and let you know. <laughs> Maybe use some Play-Doh to stick dryer sheets around the inside. All right. Well, <clears throat> this one uh, is very interesting. So I'm going to do it last. I meant to. Sorry. Okay. This is the one I'm going to ask next. I mean, that logic is why I chose which one I was doing first and which one I was doing last. So. <laughs> there you have it. Armadillos are very unique animals. Texas speed bumps. They can actually be more than a speed bump. They can actually, A, learn simple English English words. 
I can't even speak simple English words. <laughs> um, I assume to understand them rather than say them. I'm guessing. It just says learn simple English words. B, run over 35 miles per hour. You mean be run over at? at 35 miles per hour. <laughs> C, dissolve metal with their spit. They're superheroes. Or D, stop bullets with their shells. See, you said they're superheroes with the whole spit thing. I was thinking reptile from Mortal Kombat. Oh. And it's like acid spit. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> See, I'm really thinking stop a bullet. What are the other options? A, learn simple English words. B, run over 35 miles per hour. C, dissolve metal with their spit. Or D, stop bullets with their shells. Hmm. See, I, I've seen armadillos. I don't believe an armadillo is going to manage to pull off 35 miles an hour. <laughs> they waddle too much for that. <laughs> like, it's just not happening. I There's one house that I had lived in. Like, it was not very high up off the ground. And, like, there were armadillos. There was a family of armadillos that lived under the house. And, like, the adult ones that were bringing up their shells would hit the the floor joists. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't up off the ground very much. Like there was this whole family. I came home from work one day and there was like mama armadillo and a bunch of baby armadillos in the front yard. I was like, yeah, I think I'll just stay back and wait. <laughs> I'll go inside later. <laughs> you didn't want to try to, I'm not going to cross, you know, or go past these baby armadillos, especially with mama armadillo right there to come at me and then have them all, chase me or something. I was like, I'll just hang out and wait. Were you afraid she was going to like come at you at 35 miles per hour? No, have you ever seen like to me, an armadillo looks like a possum with armor. Maybe that's why it's armor. I mean, it, like their head. I don't know. It's similar to the head of a possum or something. So, I mean, I'm guessing those teeth are there too. And <laughs> they have armor. So, I mean, it's like, you know, your regular police officer versus the SWAT team with the body armor and the shield. Like, uh -uh, That's the possum in the armadillo. <laughs> I ain't screwing with that. No. I was just waiting until they went back under the house. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> I'm I, that would be me. I'm, not, I'm laughing at you like, oh, my God. But that would so be me. I'd be like, mm -mm, nope. I don't got to go in the house that bad. I might right? go. I might go back to a store, and go shopping. I don't know. I'll go get a cup of coffee. Right. I'll try again in an hour. We'll see. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but I'm gonna go with the uh, the bullet. So according to this card, the answer is D. An armadillo can actually stop bullets with their shells. So. You talking about that while you're getting your facts up? I remember. I think. I don't know what grade I was in, but there was a short story that was like, I guess the folklore about how, like where an armadillo came from or something. I remember reading, it was like this person that was given this like shawl to protect them or something. Uh, I don't know. Somehow it ended up turning like they turned into an armadillo or something. Huh. Or other. 
Animals, I'm just saying though too, I was thinking about that. Like animals are so resilient, like the porcupines and their needles and like I feel like it might have been, you know, how the armadillo got its shell or like a story that would how the possum turned into an armadillo. <laughs> I mean a story that would be named something like that. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. Um, so this talks about um where'd it go? Uh I looked like for all sorts of stuff. I landed on this one here by uh, National Geographic. Um, and armadillos do inspire better body armor for humans. Um, so from like piranha proof fish to pangolins meet the creatures that are literally tougher than nails. Like that's the, the title of this one um, by Liz Langley published February 21st, 2019. Uh and it does state that the armadillo's armor inspired the development of a material that could be used to make flexible armor for people. And there are rumors and stuff uh, like where I think it was a Texas man uh, got shot by a bullet like from his own gun. So he shot his gun and the bullet ricocheted off of an armadillo and hit him. <clears throat> But according to this, it says that despite reports of bullets ricocheting off of armadillos, these creatures aren't bulletproof. Uh, their shells are made of a bone of bony plates called osteoderms that grow in the skin and they're loosely connected for flexibility and are covered by a layer of keratin. Uh which Isn't is keratin the same stuff your fingernails are made of? Mm-hmm, yeah, so that makes up hair, nails, and horns. Uh, sloth. Oh, sorry. Just kidding. So it says the shell protects the armadillos from thorny shrubs under which they can hide from predators. But if a predator, like a dog or raptor, does get to them, they can still pretty easily break the shell. Uh so it says to think of their armor more like a hard-shelled suitcase than a bulletproof vest. All right. But the interesting thing I found about it, so it doesn't, it doesn't say, so I guess it could stop a bullet because that's what it says. Right. It doesn't say they're bulletproof. It says that they could stop a bullet with their shell. So well, depending on like what kind depends. of bullet yeah. from the distance and all of that stuff. But I found this fact interesting. The armadillos segmented... And this is from that same article, so I'm stealing it. I'm sorry. I'm trying to give you credit for it, but it's so interesting. The armadillo's segmented osteoderms inspired researchers at Montreal's McGill University to create a protective material out of glass plates segmented into hexagons and set atop a soft substrate. The material proved to be 70% more puncture resistant than a continuous plate of the same thickness. So, like, doing it in the yeah, like multiple layers. Yeah. So that's right. I mean, that reminded me. It's not about armadillos, but it is about bullets. All right. (laughs) Has something to do with one of them? Well, because like you were talking about, you know, it depends on what kind of bullet it was or how far away they were, distance, things like that. And something that I learned in my forensic anthropology class that I had taken when we were discussing something and we were supposed to try to figure out, you know, based on what evidence we had, like, you know, what might've happened to this individual. Mm -hmm. 
and you know what you know was it a male figure out age things like that and one of the theories was because this uh the skull that we had you know it had a hole in it and well maybe it was a bullet wound and there was like discussion like well you it depends on what kind of bullet we're talking about if that you know could be a possible thing you know like what kind of bullet would this have to probably be if it was you know something at somewhat close range and it pretty much came like if it was you know, say the bullet of a 22 revolver that's going to stick around inside like it's not going to go through both sides of the skull yeah it has enough like force to go through one side but right but then it would just rattle around inside of there and then that would really be how that death would occur rather than you know blowing somebody's brains out basically yeah where a larger caliber would be a through through or whatever better gun yeah it would you know go in and come back out so it just kind of made me think of that it's an interesting fact something to know that i mean I guess if you don't want the bullet to be found, use something larger than a twenty-two. I don't know. Well, interesting uh, too. Like, <sighs> it was a really you, interesting class. I liked it. It'd be. And now I'm on bullets, cool, and but. I what I find interesting, like, I'm not a, I am not a firearms person. I'm just not. <clears throat> it's my choice. However, I do find some things interesting, like how, like, the entrance wounds are small. But depending on what ammunition was used and what gauge gun and all of that was used, like the exit can be so big compared to the entrance. Spreads apart. Yeah. And then comes out the other side. Yeah. Like between that and, I mean, I guess, I don't know if you stab a pencil through a piece of paper. It's like you have kind of this nice smooth hole on one side, but then the other side is kind of like blown torn, out. Yeah. So I mean, maybe that's pr- part of that. Like on the entrance is like kind of going in, so some of that wound is on the inside or where it tries to. Yeah, explode. and that kind of would explain that that same theory with like the twenty-two bullet and stuff. Like if you took a piece of paper. You could stab the pencil through it, but if you took like multiple pieces of paper, you'd have to have more force to stab the pencil through. And then if you got so thick in it, it wouldn't go all the way through. Yeah. So it would go in one side and not out the other. Right. Interestingly. But yeah, I don't know. It just reminded me of (laughs) my forensic anthropology class. It's a really cool class. So I enjoyed it. But now my last question for you. It might sound strange now, but a popular medicine of the 1830s... Opioids. Is not a choice. Oh. Was A, ketchup, B, graham crackers, C, eye of newt, D, pickled peaches. Okay, I feel like it's graham crackers. I had a feeling you were going to guess that, and I have a feeling that I know why you went there, maybe. It's not because of grandma or Graham. <laughs> but no, I mean Um I don't I don't know. That's just really what my gut told me right off like as soon as you started reading them was graham crackers. Um I don't feel like it's eye of newt, because I feel like it's something that we probably 
still have around today, so I, I don't think it would be pickled peaches Newts either. Newts don't have eyes today? No. They're all blind? Yes, because they took all of them out for something. <laughs> Dang witches and their witches brew. <laughs> Eye of Newt, wing of bat. All the bats are wingless. Stir you it up and there it's at. I don't know. You got to rhyme those spells or they don't work. I don't know. You got to come up with something. Oh. Eye of Newt, See, wing we, of bat, drink this up and I won't be fat. I need to try that. <laughs> Maybe that'll be my new medicine. Um, I don't know. Um, any, okay. So I don't th pickled peaches. Was that one of the options you said? Pickled peaches. Yes, pickled peaches. So we have ketchup, graham crackers, eye of newt, and pickled peaches. Okay. See, I just don't know because anything pickled, I think, should have some kind of like crispness to it. I mean, like we get jalapenos, and those are technically pickled or whatever. But like when I make them at home, they still have kind of a crunch to them. When we buy them at the store, they kind of get like really soft. So maybe peaches would be it. I don't. So I think it, it's going to be between ketchup and graham crackers. The ketchup I could see because of like the tomato acid and like use tomato juice for getting rid of skunk flavor or <laughs> flavor. How close are you getting to the skunks? And why? I love Pepe I was going to make me some polecat stew. Listen, Pepe Le Pew just made me want to cuddle and hug them all. No, okay. <clears throat> if you get sprayed by a skunk, they say to use tomato juice. And I heard this somewhere too. But apparently that's a myth. Like the tomato juice does not actually... Get rid of the skunk smell. Might get rid of the flavor, but it doesn't get rid of the smell. Nice. Um, and I know, like, you can put mustard on a bee sting. So maybe ketchup. I'm just sticking with graham crackers, and then you can tell me the truth about it and the history. And then I don't have to sit here and wonder because. Uh, well, I think graham crackers had more to do with the whole idea of. Uh, the same idea of cornflakes, if you know that history and where <laughs> Kellogg was at. That was yeah. kind of the same time graham crackers showed up. So if you're interested in that, look that up because we're not that adult of a podcast. So that might be crossing a line there. Has to do with adolescence. Right. Okay. But the answer is ketchup. See? Okay, now I'm done. Is it because... Of the tomato acid, they thought it was like since well, it got rid of skunk smell, it would get rid of the insides too. Like, what was it? What kind of what? What was the illness that ketchup was the medicine? Well, so first of all, just like before I come back to this and give any other backstory, but apparently the first recipe on record for ketchup dates back, and it was a food product at that point. Was it still called catsup? No, it was ketchup. Oh, okay. Actually, ketchup, like K-E-T-C-H-U-P. It oh. was an Asian. Oh, interesting. But we'll get back to that. But it was in 544 AD. Oh, wow. So then 
1834, Dr. John Cook Bennett decided, let's add tomatoes to ketchup. Wait, what? So, those over a thousand years, like 1,300 years almost, ketchup didn't have tomatoes in it. What was in ketchup before then? Well, we'll get to that oh, when we okay. get back to the other stuff. Thank goodness, because you were going to leave me over here like... <sighs> before that, ketchup had been a concoction of fish or mushrooms and some other things. And like Worcestershire sauce? That's so nasty. I like Worcestershire sauce. You're nasty. You smell like skunk. You have skunk flavor. <laughs> <laughs> but the addition of tomatoes meant that it added a plethora of vitamins and antioxidants. And this guy claimed that the uh, his recipe for ketchup with the tomatoes in it could cure diarrhea, indigestion, jaundice, rheumatism. And he had a salesman, a pill salesman, Archibald Miles. Are you related to him? I don't know. I would love to. Uh, I, ooh, I could ask my aunt and uncle. I was going to say I'd ask my mom, but she doesn't talk to me from the grave so much. In my dreams, but that's about it. But he had this pill salesman make his sauce into extract of tomato pills and marketed it. And then there was a bunch of people like, you know, doing their own version of it. And some people were even just selling laxatives, claiming that it could do all these other miraculous things too and stuff. Snake oil salesman. Pretty much, yeah. With ketchup. As a, unfortunately, some of these copycats simply sold laxatives with no trace of tomatoes and made wild, cl- wild claims that the pills could cure everything from scurvy to mending bones. Interesting. So due to the false claims, the ketchup medicine empire collapsed in 1850. It was around for 14 years? Apparently. Oh, my goodness. I mean, word of mouth does travel uh, kind of slow at that point. 16. So. 16. 16 years. Okay. I was thinking 36. It was 34. But yeah, the first recipe, uh, let's see. Yeah, was found in dating back to 544 AD, and it instructs any prospective condiment maker to take the intestine, stomach, and bladder of the yellowfish, shark, and mullet and wash them well Mix them with a moderate amount of salt and place them in a jar. Seal it tightly and incubate in the sun. It will be ready in 20 days in the summer, 50 days in the spring or fall, and 100 days in the winter. Okay, I do not want to eat it in any way, shape, or form. That sounds disgusting. However, I really do want to follow that recipe and like see what it looks like. Right. Like following that. I feel like that's probably a summer thing because it's only 20 days in the summer. So that's a little quicker. Um, So I feel like you need to bookmark that page so that we can try this out in the summer and then we can Hmm. share pictures on like Twitter and stuff of what original ketchup looked like. I wonder if we could even buy those parts though. I, I don't know. Like, might be able to special order them. Maybe go to some of the specialty markets or something. I think the restaurant that we were at tonight, like you could, they had a shark. 
Yeah, that's true. They did. It did something sell that shark. had shark meat in it. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, by the time the British discovered ketchup, the recipe had been simplified into a pungent, amber-colored liquid made out of salted and fermented anchovies. In a very real way, the original ketchup wasn't ketchup at all. It was fish sauce, pretty much identical to the fish sauce you would get today. Is that like, oyster sauce? I don't know. Is like, that what I should have said instead of Worcestershire sauce? I don't know. Uh yeah, pretty much identical to the fish sauce you can buy by the bottle in any Asian supermarket. When British traders headed back to England with a taste for the sauce, they attempted to recreate it, anglicizing it with the addition of, what else? Beer. Well, duh. Eventually, anchovies were taken out of the sauce entirely and replaced with walnut ketchup, Jane Austen's favorite kind, apparently, according to wherever I found this article and mushroom ketchup, which tastes similar to Worcestershire sauce. Ha! I'm just excited. I got something right out of all of that, but that's right. Like that initial mushroom so sauce thing in the, the anchovies. You were like, so like Worcestershire. So <laughs> I'm just saying like my grandma's like every time I said like, I don't feel good or, like, my grandma would always be like, did you use the bathroom lately? Here, have a peppermint. Like, now, when our kids say that to me, I feel like I'm going to respond. Have you had some ketchup, ketchup today? <laughs> when was the last time you ate ketchup? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's time for some ketchup. I mean, that's interesting, that started though. back, though, in the 1830s. I was like, I... I feel like the original guy that did it, I mean, he probably legitimately thought that this was a thing, like it would help with these things. Yeah. Because I mean, they were still kind of discovering a lot of medicinal stuff. And they were stuff. adding tomatoes into it. So and I mean, tomatoes. even today, I mean, we're still finding new medicinal uses for stuff or I mean, new ways to combine things to make new medicines for things. Yeah. And I mean, like, didn't penicillin come from like cheese molding mold or cheese? Something. And, yeah. So I mean, it, it it's a viable possibility or whatever. But it's just interesting. Sam, so curious how they came about like that realization. It was like, oh well, he was sick, but he ate some moldy cheese and he got all better. Maybe I don't. I don't know. Where I'm like, it, but see, <laughs> this is so bad. So if you see mold in bread. You throw that entire loaf of bread away because by the time that you see mold in one spot, the like spores of it or whatever have spread through the entire thing. Okay, so I learned that recently in my life because I was always taught just throw away the moldy pieces and eat the rest of the loaf of bread, right? Well, but like we do that with cheese. Like if you buy block cheese and mold starts to grow in one part, you just like take that layer off. And other people are like, oh my God, you're gross. Maybe it was because I grew up poor. I don't know. But you just took that layer off, and then you used the rest of the block of cheese. See, so. I'm I'm very much like, nope, that's done for. <laughs> but I like they were talking about on hot dogs as a sandwich. Like, I mean, even that it's kind of a debated topic. On you know, do you just kind of cut off the mold and keep using it, or you know, is do you get rid of the entire thing because it's no good? 
See, and the way I was and raised, like I don't just know cut enough it about it, like scientifically, to really have a well-informed opinion. I just know if it had mold on it, I'm getting rid of it. I, I just no, I am not knowingly eating something that had mold in the same package. Not going to happen. Yeah, and you know what? It's never occurred to me <clears throat> when I cut off the molded part to use it to put it into a new plastic bag. <laughs> just, you just said this package, and it. I'm not kidding. When I have had blocks of cheese, like I put them in like Ziploc storage bags or whatever. Um, and if I have seen mold, I I have I cut the mold off, and then I grate like whatever part I need, and then I just put it right back into that same bag. <laughs> When I get found, hit over the head, and in the freezer, check for some kind of poisoning by cheese mold. Listen, it's never occurred to me to... Why would you still use it? Throw that away. It's what my parents did. It's what my... We're not your parents. We can afford to buy a new block of cheese. Listen, I don't... I don't know. It's never occurred to me. To, like, But I just learned the bread thing not that many years ago because I used to just be like, oh, this piece is moldy. Throw these ones away and then use the bread that doesn't show mold on it. Like, it's fine. But I just recently learned that like, the no, spores spread through the entire like... bread before you see any, like, visible signs of the mold anywhere. So no, I don't know. I'm like, if there's mold anywhere, I just assume the entire package has mold on it and it goes to the trash. Yeah. Well. Because that's nasty. Well, you've had lots of nasty food in your life. Probably skunk flavored. <laughs> I think you're just trying to kill me. Anyway. I wonder if Play-Doh will melt like cheese. Oh, I do. Are you ready for it? I doubt it would melt like cheese. It would probably get hard. I don't know. I think it would dehydrate. Maybe. You know, like if you just leave it out of the canister and it gets hard. Oh, yeah. That's all. But that's what blocks of cheese do, too, when you leave them out. And they melt. Like, you can make grilled cheese out of... So, I don't don't know. know. All right. So, I went with this one just because... Well, I'm sure you'll figure it out when I tell you. Turtles. Turtle. 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 <laughs> I love turtles. Turtles have... Just think Dana Carvey, Master of Disguise. <laughs> oh, yes. Turtle. Turtle. Turtles have skills to survive in many environments, which include... A. Using their shell like a surfboard. B. Storing a snack in their shells. C, breathing through their butts, or D, throwing themselves at enemies like a Frisbee, trademark. See, I'm pretty sure they don't throw themselves at their enemies like a Frisbee. It's more like a boomerang. Someone has to throw them Turtles don't really move that quick. And (laughs) as far as hiding a snack in their shell, I really don't believe that's the answer, simply because the shell is a part of their body. But, like, they can suck back into it, so how do you know they Yeah, have, but they like, still pockets. have, like, skin around there and everything to protect. Maybe their shell pockets. So I, I don't think that that's the case. Okay. Using it as a surfboard, I mean, the only thing I think there is Crash. The turtle named Crash in Finding Nemo. Is his name Crash? 
Yes, the dad turtle. Oh, yeah. His name is Crash. That's what I think of with the turtle surfboard, so I don't think that's it. So I think it's more like a sled. Whatever that other one is. Like trash can lids. Uh, the the other one it? is breathing through their butts. Yeah, I believe that is it. I think I've actually heard that before. Well, the answer is C. <laughs> Turtles have skills to survive in many environments, including breathing through their butts. Love it. So the reason I like that one is the turtles, not the breathing through the so butt. So am I Although three for I three? Feel like, yeah, of course you are. Are you ever <laughs> not? I think people would be shocked if you weren't. I feel like you read all these questions, no, memorize them. But you know, like when we go to those trivia nights and stuff like we I know. Done, those are so much and fun. It's like, I don't know. But I mean, you have to think so quickly and it's like fast paced. We're like given some time to really kind of think through it and come up with like, well, this is why I think this. Uh, you know, the way I do on here, where I have a little bit more time, I think we would do so much better on those trivia nights. Right? But you only have so much time to come up with the answer. Okay. Like, so, no, I got to think logically about this here. So, I went to pbs.org for information on this one to find out if this was a true. Like thing and, and about it, and, and then so Franklin, Franklin the turtle on PBS went surfing on his turtle shell. Not really was was telling kids how he breathes through his butt. It's a true statement. I, I could just imagine that being a PBS special. <laughs> Hi, I'm Franklin the turtle, and I breathe out of my butt. <laughs> okay, so there goes our PBS sponsorship, right? <laughs> um, so it's kind of used like when they're hibernating or whatever. So a lot of like, you know, so all turtles have lungs and they need oxygen to breathe and stuff. But some like when ponds freeze over or things like that, they can't get back up to the surface, but they don't die. I guess the cool thing, and I found this, um, turtles, <sighs> are an ectotherm, which is an animal that relies on an external source of heat. So a turtle's body temperature tracks that of its environment. So if the water is like five degrees Fahrenheit, the turtle's body temperature is five degrees Fahrenheit. So it slows Aren't down their metabolism. Blooded animals like that's Yeah, ectotherms. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kinda I like this is the first time I saw it. Like Stated like that, so I found that interesting. So their metabolism slows down and all of that stuff. Right. But here's the thing. <clears throat> there is a couple. So um, turtles have lungs and then they breathe air. So how is it possible that they can do all of that? And then it gets down here. Um, the one, so a cold turtle in cold water has a slow metabolism. So the colder it gets, the slower its metabolism, which translates into lower energy and oxygen demands. Right. So it requires less oxygen. But how does it get that oxygen if it can't breathe? So does here you go. Kind of like work like gills for a fish. Kind of. When turtles hibernate, they rely on stored energy and uptake oxygen from the pond water by moving it across body surfaces that are flush with blood vessels. 
In this way, they can get enough oxygen to support their minimal needs without using their lungs. Turtles have one area that is especially well vascularized, their butts. The technical term for butt breathing is cloacal respiration. There is an actual technical term for butt breathing. All right. We are not capable of butt breathing. But I found that very interesting. <laughs> See, I don't know. I, I've heard some of the things that come out of some people's mouths in this world. And I feel like their lungs just very well might be attached to that end of their body as well. So maybe they do. <laughs> if you don't get it right now, think about it just a second and you'll get it. <sighs> I'm that just was, saying. Yeah. That's kind of interesting. Like, we always play this. or just like guess and whatever. But it's kind of interesting to look up information yeah, and have no like stuff. Yeah, additional information. Like, well, we assume these cards are correct, but yeah. So we wanted to share some of that with those of you who follow along and listen to us and fast forward just to get to the game section of our podcast. <laughs> do people do that? I don't know. I assume that people do all sorts of stuff. I also assume that people listen to us. Again, we are your grandma's podcast. You're welcome to download. We could be your grandpa's podcast as well. Family members, family members you like, family members you don't like, whatever the case may be. Yeah, we're not picky. No. We'll, we'll, we'll let anybody we listen to our conversations. I mean, apparently people listen. We have a total of 1,825 downloads. Hey, that's not bad. An average of 28 downloads an episode. So... Hey, we got... But the way they do these calculations, it throws me off because, like, other numbers make that seem not correct. So, I don't well, know. Well, I feel like you said an average of 28 downloads per episode. So, then I'm like, does that mean 28 different individuals? Or does that mean that, like, some of us... Well, it like, figures it out, like... I mean, if one person had, like, five devices yeah, with <laughs> Which different I, accounts and different... Oh, is it different accounts? Because that's what I was saying. Like, if well, I... I would guess. Because sometimes I'll download... I like, I, I'm... Even though my Chromebook is not an Apple product or whatever, um, I oh. still use my Apple ID um, for my podcast sign-in stuff or whatever. So right. well, I think where those numbers come from, it's actually just how many times it got downloaded. I'm excited that, that it's site. 28. That's but more than a dozen or two. Even. I'm just saying that's so. more than I can count on my my hands, my fingers, and my toes. That's exciting. I really didn't think anybody would ever listen to us or do it more than once. So right. Super excited. Thanks for I know, listening. I know our critical race theory episode, like it, it jumped up quite a bit. So it seemed to be a hot topic. Nice. And <laughs> we had a I topic. That's it, kind of a hot topic. So, right? All right. Until next time. 
Thanks for eavesdropping. If you have a topic you'd like to hear us talk about or give us feedback, you can go to topicplease.com to find our social media links, contact form, how to subscribe on your preferred podcast player. You can also find links to our past episodes. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share us with other eavesdroppers you know.